Hello and welcome to Talking Cod, Season 3, Episode 2. Guys, how are you doing? Hey, we're all right, we're all right. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a stranger in town, as usual. I was usual. thinking, yeah. Yeah, Dave, what's happened? You've grown <laughs> hair and you've changed your accent. What's happening? Who is this stranger I see before me? Hey, oh, is this me yours? Yes, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> Introduce uh, us. Well, this is this is a, a Jindy man um, who I know, well, I've known for a couple of years and we have a very good mutual friend. A uh, big shout out to uh, Mr. Paul Collins. Jindy has got a really interesting story, and I'm not going to spoil it by trying to surmise it in a couple of words, but needless to say, he's worked as a consultant in large organizations, like huge multinational businesses, and he's current uh, working in startups and all sorts of things, but currently he's kind of working around his I guess his, his, his mission in life, which which is around helping people and individuals to understand themselves in a leadership context rather than, you know, an, an ideal of how leadership might look. So anyway, that Jindy Man, the company is The Selfish Leader. And uh, as I said last week, uh, he has a fantastic email. So if you're not already signed up, well, you get yourself onto that later. What was the name of that email again for our listener? It's well. It's it's <laughs> the, the it's the selfish leader website, and if you go click on there, subscribe, you can subscribe to the to the email. Brilliant, it's a fantastic so read. I can now put a name and a face to the email I've got today from the selfish <laughs> yes. leader. Nice to meet you, Jin. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Good to be here with you guys. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, we were just saying, you know, I I am I'm a listener of the pod, and I've enjoyed a lot of your conversations. So yeah, great to be here. Excited. Thank you. So you're our listener. I'm your listener, uh, yeah. and, I, and I'm in Germany, so I'm not. I'm the, the, yeah, the German, <laughs> I'm the international <laughs> listener. Yeah. Excellent. So we just get everywhere talking cod these days. So with Germany and Manchester, with Spain, Australia, yeah. Africa all sorts. as well. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah I went. I went. Yeah, Brazil. Yeah, probably. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. I've, I've not looked at the stats recently. Good to meet you. So, where's Dave? Is he doing his Uber driving this afternoon? <laughs> he is. Well, he's no. I think. I think he might be taking a long weekend or something like that. He's always away for weekends away. He was in bloody Sicily, was it the other week, or Sardinia? And you know, he's just he's up. He's up in Highlands or Scotland on his bike, what have you? Yeah, he'll be listening yeah. now. So let's not slag him off now. No, 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 no. We'll have to edit I, that I bit Dave. out. Yeah, we do as well. We love Dave as well. He has got a part-time job as an Uber driver. We've uh, we've had calls and he's been on his way to Morecambe and back several times. So I think you can see him go, oh, I've just got a job. Hang on, guys. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, for me, some something really authentic, which is those honest conversations. And offline, we have these honest conversations regularly and close friends, I feel have honest conversations and and phil you were telling us that jindy's the guy who who really understands this in in a big way so tell us more what's 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 this all about jindy yeah i mean i'm seeking to understand it i guess so all of my work that's why i do leadership coaching and i do organizational consulting and i do uh men's work so i run men's groups and i, and I guess all of those things the common thread through one of the common threads through all of those things is having really honest conversations about what's going on what's going on in this conversation, what's going on with me, what's going on in this group or in this organization. And that, um, that takes some practice and it takes some courage and it takes some skill. But in the process of doing that, you kind of surface things. And that's, 
that's where some really valuable things can happen. Um, mm. And I know you guys talk a lot about mental health. You, you come from that perspective and friendship and relationships and all of those, if they're going to be healthy, they need to be founded on conversations that are as honest and open as possible mm. uh, in any moment. Yeah, it's so that's, so that's, what, that's what I do. How did you find this? How did it actually happen? Did, did something happen? Was there an epiphany, a light bulb moment where you <laughs> I need to talk honestly? Yeah, was, ooh, yeah, how do I answer that? There was probably several. Uh, there was probably okay. several. So I'll try and pick out a couple of things. I mean, there's, there's always tons of stuff in early life, uh, and I'm happy to talk about that, but we could end up talking about that forever. But I grew up, the short version is I grew up in a family where we talked about nothing, and I found that really difficult. I uh, lost my dad when I was 13, so mm-hmm. there was a um, kind of figuring out who you are as a guy uh, aspect to it as well. And then going into organizations, I spent most of my career as a consultant in big organizations, large organizations, as Phil said. And what I saw over and over again was people not really talking about what was going on. And by this point, there was lots of stuff that I hadn't talked about in my own life. So I was feeling the pressure of both of those things. Mm. And then about 15 years ago, I had this, yeah, kind of epiphany moment well a low point actually i was sitting in this hotel room in copenhagen on this project mm-hmm. and realized despite being good at my job and being fairly well regarded and being on a good path inside a consultancy i was miserable and i was probably looking back now i was probably depressed and really anxious as well and i thought something needs to change and then i started working with a coach and then what's happened in the 15 years since since has been radically different and a lot of it has been about getting more honest about my experience, getting better at talking about it, getting better at working with it, and then over time, realizing that that's actually part of what I have to offer. Uh, mm. And it was my coach that kind of helped me kind of realize that, that before I even started my coaching practice, like five or six years ago, we were having, I was having this conversation with my coach, and she sort of sowed the seed that, hey, you're, you're this guy who's kind of worked in these alpha worlds you're a football fan you play football your whole life you know what a dressing room looks and feels like but you're also this other person that is kind of there's this other very real side to you which is sensitive which is introverted which is focused on relationships and there's this kind of that was a kind of epiphany i was like okay well i've got a foot in both of those camps and i almost felt a responsibility to do something about that and that was where the men's work idea started and then we started the men's groups two years, two years ago, These, the free men's groups were running uh, two and a half years ago, actually. And yeah, they've grown and we're now looking to take that into other places, into organizations and other exciting things. But that in a nutshell is kind of, yeah, that's some of the epiphany moments I've had. There's been many others, but yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, we come at it from really different angles, I guess. But, you know, the, 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 when, when we started talking card, that was... That, that was the bit that sort of gelled between us all when we were kind of talking, because we'd all had stuff going on in, in our own lives that, you know, in a professional capacity where things in our professional life, we had to, had to conform to a certain way of being and sit within structures that we perhaps weren't necessarily made for. In fact, definitely weren't made for. And that sort of forces you to kind of, I guess, as you're saying, sort of conform to something else, you know, you conform to what's kind of expected of you. So I guess when we started with Talking Cod, it, it was just to go, you know what, let's just, I mean, it was in the middle of COVID as well. So it was that thing that you couldn't get out with your, your pals and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. But as, as blokes, we are pretty crap generally at talking about how we feel. You know, I know I ball stuff up like mad, you know, just bubbles away in my head. And then, you know, 
I'll let things fester sometimes and then it'll only come out when I'm re- when it's something's really wound me up. And then you explode you know, and, and start then you kicking explode. Off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why but, do you think but, that is, guys? Why do you think it is that we as blokes, I mean we we're being really stereotypical there, but generalizing, why do we not have honest conversations? Why do we bottle things up? For me, it starts very young. It starts when you're a toddler, uh, a little boy. You start to take on these ideas that boys don't cry, boys don't express their emotions, boys should do certain things that are active, going and doing. They shouldn't be reflective, they shouldn't be still, they shouldn't be sensitive. Uh, And then you start, as boys get older, they start to um, take on this idea of what a young man should be or a man Mm. should be. And it's, Mm. it's a continuation of the same theme. It's, you know, being a man is about aggressive, competition risk taking and all of those things in the right in the right uh, quantities are important like beautiful qualities necessary qualities but what i've seen what i've experienced is that that's kind of the only thing that we're told you should be as a man and so as you as you go after those things what you neglect is relationships and relational skills mm-hmm. and qualities and one of them is being able to talk openly and just you know i, I don't know about you guys but when i was a boy uh, I remember my earliest friendships, you would talk quite openly. You'd talk about like quite sensitive things, like what you were feeling and what you were dreaming about and what you were imagining, you know, when you were a young boy. And then at some point around eight or nine, that starts to change, or it did for me anyway. So there is something about expectations of what it is to be a man and a boy. Yeah, I get that. And, and that kind of comes through with you, through, you know, through, through into your teens, your early adult life, and then, you know, where, where we are now, you know, sort of the, 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 the sort of middle part of our lives. And, you know, I mean, I, again, I, 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 yeah, I came from a family that didn't really talk much and very quiet. And I'm naturally quite quiet unless I'm comfortable with the people that I'm around. And in which case I'm, I go the opposite way. I'm kind of like, if I'm with people I click with, I'll wear my heart on my sleeve and be, you know, but I think I've, I've always been, pretty sensitive so i think that plays into it you know yeah not not trusting and then trusting you know but uh, yeah i do think it's something we you know when there are problems i i find it hard even to speak to my my pals about problems you know uh, cards on the table you know like there is something going on for me at the minute that that's very challenging and um i called a friend this morning who is is my go outside Dave and Andy because I do it's about I'm very conscious maybe we'll talk about this is burdening people you don't burden people too much I think that's another part of this but there I come my mate Stuart and only because he got caught caught, caught up in something last night and so I just rang rang back to check in and uh, and he said. I said, are you on, on your way to work then, Stu? He said, no, I'm at the airport. I've just got myself a breakfast and, you know, I'm just all the lads are getting pints. This is like, you know, half nine at that sort of thing. There. Uh, and he says, oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, God. And then I was like, well, you know, I then felt slightly awkward, you know, checking in. But he said, look, how, how are things going with all that kind of stuff? And I just gave him as much as I could without – ruining his holiday you know before he got out the airport but i do think there's that isn't it it's like and again generalization isn't it but but i think what jindy's saying is absolutely right isn't it we are sort of conditioned along the way or however that happens whatever society does to us you know it does happen and, and you know 
And maybe, again, I'm really conscious of generalisms, but maybe because women are more open about talking about their emotions and, and, and something bothering them, they're more likely to have a conversation with a friend about it, like unlike me just fumbling around thinking, oh, I don't know if my mate's going to be, mm. you know. I don't know. I think we do struggle, no doubt about it. I think historically, and I think ourselves and, and most people who listen are kind of dealing with this midlife realization that actually what we did when we were younger wasn't always the right thing to do, but we didn't know any any better. You know, we we're victims of victims. We've you know we've we've almost role modelled people who have had bad role models. So they've become a victim of a bad role model, and we don't know anything any, any other way of doing it. And it was interesting listening to you then, Phil, talking about you don't want to burden someone. I've opened up to guys in talking groups, Andy's Man Club, um, but also with mentors and friends. My mate Dan listens to this on a regular basis. When I had my breakdown, the first person I, I went to literally walked across Manchester and then just gave him a call and went, are you in? And he went, yeah, I'm in work. So just come down and I just let everything out. And he's the only person I felt I could speak with at that time because I just didn't even know what's up and I don't know. And, and then all this stuff came out. I don't even know what I said. And I felt like I was burdening him. And he went, no, it's great. It's, it's brilliant that you see me as such a good friend that you can share this with me. And another guy, Kieran, who I don't think Kieran listens to this. He's getting on a bit now, Kieran. He probably doesn't know yeah. what a podcast is, so yeah. I'm probably in safe territory. He's a bit rubbish, um, isn't he, Kieran? I don't like him. He's, he's, a, top, <laughs> he's, a, he's a top guy. So I, I was having a really difficult time. Really, I was at the lowest point of my life. I'd left my job because I'd had a breakdown. Uh, I was on antidepressants. Both my parents were, were ill, and I bought three franchises. And I thought, this is the way out. This is me being my own boss. So the franchises were then liquidated by the franchisor, did something really illegal, and it left us with no income whatsoever. So there's this like guy who's got like two young children, no income. All my pride had completely gone and, and nothing. And I just thought, this is this is the end for me. And kids are probably better off without me if I, you know, if I'm not here. And and he just sat me down and listened. And he, he taught me through some things, you know, what do you need? What would be good and what would be even better? How can I help? Where can you get help from? And afterwards, I apologized and I said, that's amazing what you did. He said, all I did was just ask you some simple questions. And he said, and, and he, he described about, you've actually helped me because that allows me then to, first of all, know that you trust me, but also it allows me to reflect on what I've done about things. It makes me feel good about myself. So when somebody asks you for help, it's not a burden. It's a gift. It's like, well, thank you for asking me this because it feels like it's a reward for actually being a pretty stable kind of character, somebody that you feel you can trust. Is that something that you hear often, Jindy? Yeah, it is. It is. There's lots of different reasons. And just, I guess, going back to what Phil was saying, and what you were saying there as well, Andy, that sometimes we can also get the idea that as men, we're not capable of doing this, but but we really are. Like we, we This is who we are originally. It's where It's been kind of trained out of us or we've unlearned it over time because we've taken up this role of uh, what a man should be and a man doesn't share his feelings and a man doesn't talk in this way. So what we're really doing is returning to ourselves. And, and that's what guys find, I think, when they, whatever their journey is, whether it's coaching or therapy or being in a group or just having really great friendships, they, they know that they can do this. There's a psychotherapist called um, Jerry Hyde. There's a great documentary about his work. He's been running men's groups for, I think, um, almost 30 years. And when, when I read an interview with him and he was asked, what's masculinity about? What it, what is, how do you define masculinity? And he immediately said, tenderness. Wow. Wouldn't have expected that. 
No. Yeah, right. And Never. but if you if if you interrogate that idea, I mean, there's another there's a, another guy who's um, a guy called Sebastian Junger. I don't know if you've read any of his work, but he's a war correspondent and he's done lots of work around groups and tribes and connection. If you look at groups of what we might think of as ultra masculine guys, like soldiers or firemen or whatever it might be, when you really observe a tight group of them, they're tender with each other. They're really, really tender and close and connected to each other, and it can be kind of disguised by all this macho stuff on the top but it's um yeah there is that tenderness there so sorry to come back to your question andy yeah there's lots of things i guess in the, that that can get in the way of guys opening up and one of them and this was my experience it's interesting to hear you guys say it was not wanting to burden people mine was um fear of judgment yeah mm. this real yeah. fear yeah. of you know, throwing myself in that way and what i'm hearing in all of our stories is like it's a real shame that it took some really 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 painful stuff before we finally did something and we see that over and over again in, in, in our groups. It's not usually, just to say a little bit about the groups we do, it's, um, it's not usually guys who are in any sort of severe pain or distress or anxiety. What the space we're quite consciously creating is, let's have these conversations before you even get to that place. So if you think, you know, if you think at one end of the spectrum, there's um, lots of amazing groups and spaces where, that are around suicide prevention. We're kind of at the other end of the spectrum saying, guys, just, just come and have a conversation in a slightly different way and be real and be honest. Even if you're feeling great about your life, just come and practice that skill. And yeah, what guys realize is that they can do it. It comes naturally to them. But there is, there is shame, there's fear, there's don't want to burden people. But the moment they start, and it's amazing, there's something about strangers, something about the fact it's strangers makes it easier for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That they just feel, okay, in this space, everyone's showing up in this way, so I can just be myself. I can just share these things, and I won't be judged. And no one has these expectations of me. I don't have this 30-year friendship that I have to sort of perform a certain role in. So it's amazing what happens. It's amazing what happens. And do you think it's the fear of judgment that stops us from speaking openly then? I think, well, speaking from my own perspective, that, that was my fear. It was like, how will, how will this look? I was trying to maintain this persona of, a guy knows all the answers. Who's, this is how people saw me as well. They thought, this guy's got his shit together. He knows, he knows what he's doing. He looks quite polished and shiny from the outside. He's got this you know, nice-looking career. And inside, I was struggling. I was all over the place. And I was trying to maintain that persona. And it was only when I started to take off those masks, that's you know, one of the terms we use, that the really good stuff started to happen. It was painful. Yeah. You know, it was well. It was difficult. I love that. Yeah. I just picking up on that, when, when, when you say painful, I, I guess that's not physical pain. Is it, is it, you know, is it the ego feeling like it's being threatened or something? Or what's, what's going on? Are you, are you just, does it feel uncomfortable to, to know yourself or, you know, to, to change? Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I love the fact you mentioned the ego there. There is, yeah, the ego literally feels threatened. There's like, it can feel like this is existential. You know, my life's going to end uh, if, yeah, my identity is going to collapse yeah. If, yeah. if I show myself in this way. And that can also lead to then physical things. And I think about some of, I've always been quite fit and healthy, but I had some things along the way. And I look back now and go, was that all the stuff I was holding in? All the emotions? Because the mm. moment I started to work on some of those things, those physical ailments went. The mind-body connection is well known now. So yeah, I think there is a very sort of feeling of 
I might die if I if I if I if I open up in this way. That is what the ego is saying. Yeah. The ego is trying to protect yeah. itself. Protect, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't change. Is. Don't change. Don't yeah. change. Keep yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. safe yeah. here. It's safe. Yeah. 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 I, I totally resonates with me, Jindy. It's like I remember in a particular role, and it's probably, it's probably been present throughout my salaried roles, not when I've worked for myself, which you know, is, is I would never go and work in a salaried, salaried role again. I'm, I'm sure we all probably are <laughs> all in similar agreement there. But I remember in, in this particular salaried role, can't say which one because the lawyers still might be listening, in which case, thanks for being <laughs> our other listener. Um, in this part- <laughs> you can edit that one out if you want. He said that, yeah. <laughs> he said that, not me. Um <laughs> But I, yeah, I remember the exact same thing, you know, just being the guy with all the answers, the guy who was cool, cool, calm and collected that would, you know, gracefully go from sorting out one thing to cracking a deal with some company, you know, and I remember looking up from a desk at one point, one day, and there was like a queue of people waiting to talk to me. I'm like, why? Why? You know, why? Why is it? And, you know, I was sort of speaking to a member of staff who, you know, was having a bit of a wobble at the time. So we were in a kind of, you know, a a sort of off-site sort of chat about that in a kind of non-leadership kind of way. I don't want to sit and, and, um, you know, manage you or, you know, I want to kind of get to the root of why you feel a bit stressed at the minute. And she was like, well, I, you know, I'll look at you and you're like cool, calm and collected about everything you've got and all the answers. And, and you know, I, I just, I just, don't, I just, don't, I, I can't, I can't see myself being that. And I said, well, look, that might be what, I, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a wake up moment for me. But, you know, I hear, hear me, heard myself saying, you know, that isn't me. I, I kind of, you know, I go home and, uh, you know, it's like the swan, you know, the, the swan's very graceful up top and, you know, underneath it paddling out like like mad just to keep, stay afloat and i remember saying to this colleague at the time you know i just you know i go home at night and all i want to do is stare at a blank wall <laughs> i just don't want any noise because outwardly i've been managing everything i've been processing all this stuff and making stuff happen and keeping the ship on an even keel but actually you know you, you, inside it was wasn't working you know mm. And you convince the and you so bob on that thing about the ego, man. That's like absolutely. If I if I what happens now if I put my hand up and say, you know what, guys, not for me. This I can't do it. The world's going to end. That's what my ego was telling me. Mm-hmm. And the minute I got out of that situation, I reconnected with who I am and the, and the stuff that I do. In the many jobs since that particular role, because there's no indication in, in what I'm saying of any kind of uh, timeline uh, between that job and what I do now, again, in case that solicitor's listening, could be any number of jobs ago, but certainly now I just do the things that feel true to me and, and where I can add some value. And also really wanky, doesn't it? I always feel really wanky saying it. I feel wanky saying that I do stuff that i enjoy what what's the ma- where's the ma- that's the ma- we all 
look, the, around this virtual table, you know, I challenge any any of us to say, well, we're not. We're all going to – do you do what you enjoy? Andy, do you do what you enjoy? Jindy, do you love, what you enjoy? I yeah. love what I do. The mask is away. There's no pretense. Mm. We do what we do and we connect with people and we we feel the value we can add, not in a boastful way, but because we're on our – sort of a game in our zone and, and mm. we we found our purpose found our kind of mission in life and that was a really long way of saying yeah i can't as ever i've, I've rambled off on one and made multiple points that you know not like you feel intend to me yeah exactly there's something interesting in that what you were sharing there phil about you know people queuing at your desk to talk to you and you know it's this i guess we're talking about here about how other people see us and versus mm. what we might be feeling or knowing inside but there's also something in that story about people seeing you as someone to talk to. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. Sometimes we often we often don't realise that about ourselves. Like someone has to reflect it back to us. And Andy, I imagine this comes up in like your mentoring and coaching work quite often. You're you're showing people things that they're not aware of, things that might come quite naturally, you know, to yeah. them that they are someone that people can go and approach or have conversations with or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I- one of the exercises I ask mentees and coaches to do is to ask people who they trust how they describe them. You know, it, mm. it's it's a bit like three sixty feet, but it's not. It's 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 from people whose opinion you trust, not the ones who blow smoke up your ass, not the ones who go, "Oh yeah, you're Ace Phil, you're Ace Jinder, yeah, we love you." The ones who will be honest with you. And sometimes there are some nuggets there, isn't there? This like, you know, you're you're one of the best listeners I know. Well, I've never even thought of that. Mm, or you you know you you so considered for example or you really understand me or you make me feel you know valued for example and these are often the kind of words that we wouldn't associate with ourselves but those blind spots sometimes go wow i need to do more about that maybe this is a gift i should be using more of and maybe it's that vulnerability that within me that other people you know they observe it and i don't know it maybe it's just natural there was something which I've observed listening to you, Phil, there, and I'm not a therapist, by the way, and this isn't counselling. But what I noticed... I'll put 50 quid away then. I'll send you an invoice after the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, 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 use the, you use the word feel a lot. Mm. And often people I speak with say think instead of feel. Yeah. And, and, th- and this is when I, I find that the person who uses feel more often is the one who's more comfortable. And the more honest, and we talk about honest conversations here. When I, when I'm coaching people, I'm mentoring people, and I ask them a question because, well, I think yeah, this, and I think, and I think, I have to ask that question again. I said, well, what do you feel about that though? And younger guys in particular really struggle with the word feel. You know, what do you feel? The only feelings they have is like, I'm hungry, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm tired, I'm pissed, or whatever. <laughs> that's all they can tell me is like that's the only feeling they they, they can kind of process if you like. Mm. but they will think an answer rather than feel something. And I'm wondering if this is, is it a rite of passage? Does something have to happen? Do we have to hit a low point to, you know, to strip these layers back and then realize this is who we actually are, as, as you've both said? Or is it something which is more like a chemical reaction? You know, does something happen when we come, say, parents, for example, or when we have a breakdown? You know, is there something changing us when we start to understand what feelings are like? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a God. There's a lot there. We could talk for hours about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, firstly, there's something about rites of passage, and I think in modern uh, life, we don't really have rites of passages for, for boys mm. anymore. 
uh, girls to some extent because they go through menstruation, but girls probably don't have that much either. But boys in particular don't have much that help them with a, from a transition to a boy to a man. And then, yeah, it kind of, this is reminding me of what we were talking about just before we started recording about the, I think guys do want to feel. And that's, mm. we were talking about, you know, what, why guys go and do sort of extreme adventure and endurance events. And, and, and from my own experience and from the guys I've witnessed around me, it's a, it's a desire to feel something. You know, you're sitting mm. at a desk all day yeah. if, you're in, if you're in that world. And there's this sense of, no, I need, to, I need to feel something. So a typical masculine reaction to it is, well, I'm going to go and do some insane endurance event. And we'll climb, we'll climb mountains and we'll do like triathlons and we'll swim across oceans. We'll do anything. I still do. Sit, <laughs> sit in a room. Yeah, so do I, yeah. yeah. We'll do anything but sit in a room and talk about how we're actually feeling because yeah. that is the yeah. hardest thing of all for some guys. It is that, tough, That's the really it? scary thing, you know. Mm. Yeah, it is. Interesting we talk about exercise. I'm coaching someone and we, we started off talking about work, but it was more about their life, their lifestyle, and the physicality is so important to them. We looked through this this weekly training schedule, a physical training schedule, and it's like, it's just, I can do all this, but it doesn't feel like I'm achieving anything. And the following week, when I had the best workout, I destroyed myself and it felt fantastic. You know, I'm waking up in the morning with everything hurting, felt great. I felt alive again. And it is almost that, you know, we, we wrap ourselves up in cotton wool. Maybe we, you know, we sit in these unnatural positions and have unnatural feelings, I suppose. You know, we, we've just become numb, I think. So mm. what was really interesting is that, I do a lot of running, as you probably know, and lots of other things. And when I'm running with people, and I'm not talking about racing, I'm talking about just running, having a social run, the barriers come right down. Mm. And I think there was something I heard on the Huberman podcast. I don't know if you've listened to the Huberman podcast. Mm. He was talking about the ocular stimulation of your eyes. When, when, when you're moving, you don't feel threat because your eyes are being stimulated. You know there is actually no physical threat around you, so in which case you feel more relaxed. And I'm, I, I've kind of wondered since listening to that, when I'm running, I'm more likely to open up about anything. When I'm asking questions of guys who usually bottle things up, they will tell me anything on a, on a social run, you know, anything from like, you know, they've had a breakdown or a divorce or they've had a drinking problem. They would never tell us this on a, mm. on a, on a face-to-face basis usually. But when we're exercising, suddenly it just feels like the, the real person comes out. Mm. So, you, so you, you obviously, you're, you're quite a fit guy, Jindy, if you know what I mean. You know, I'm not fancy. You, you know, you're just <laughs> married, being masculine, of course. Um, <laughs> did, 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 are you more likely to, to feel different about the kind of words you might use when you, either, when you are running with someone else or, or afterwards? Do you, do you feel mentally different? Uh, what, what, when doing exercise, you mean? Either during or just after. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you mentioned some of the science there, there's something about what happens to your eyes and your brain when you're looking at broad views, like horizons. Mm. Uh, and the science shows that, yeah, you see less threat, you're more open. And so literally, this is why, you know, when people want some creativity, they might go and look out the window or, you know, look at mm. a view. Yeah. Um, but there's also something, and I think this is particularly valuable for guys, is being side by side. And not facing mm. each other because mm. that can feel quite intense to sit yeah. and you know or stand and face each other in the eyes maybe there's something primal about that typically being an aggressive posture but to go for a run or a walk or a hike alongside each other you're looking at the view and you're just chatting and you're absolutely right my experiences is with with my friends and with people has been suddenly stuff barriers come down and things start to flow out of you as you're just walking side by side or running just- there's something really interesting that goes full circle then, then there, Jindy, that in my head, because we talked about, 
you know, those masculine roles in society like army and, and firefighters. I'm saying masculine, obviously it's a masculine role. I don't mean to say anything, obviously female kind of thing in there, obviously. But I guess what I'm saying is that there's that sort of, that those kind of roles are side by side, aren't they? Those those the roles that we, we're talking about there where there's tenderness Un, not untapped or un, untold temp, tenderness mm. in that are side by side roles where you'll have a group of people side by side tackling a situation and they're in that same thing as if you're going out for a run with a, br- a bunch of friends where none of us are facing i mean i imagine if you, you had two army kind of soldiers facing off against each other that's going to be a a tense situation but Mm. those people side by side they're going to as you say tend to share in open because Mm. they've got this common goal and the common ground and all those kind of things Mm. it's just interesting just to think about you know those situations where we're we're out where we've got this vista we it might be really challenging you know but we're still out in the open we've still got this these, these open space we're not stuck in front of computers and we're side by side we are mm. literally brothers in mm. arms you know yeah. i think there's something really kind of properly deep in it. i think i must next time i go to a pub i have to sit side by side with my pals i have to get a long table <laughs> although maybe that's just when you watch the footy because you know you, you're doing mm. that anyway i've gone yeah. right off on oh, tangent again a lot of truth in that though there's something there's, interesting, there's, isn't it? No, there's definitely a lot of tricks. Even in the words you use, like, you know, I'm by your side or we're side by side on things, it just sounds more connected, mm. doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas when, you, when you're face to face, it is almost aggressive <laughs> yeah. in that respect. And I've seen this with, with teenagers in particular. Don't face a teenager when you're asking them a question. They, they really do feel intimidated. It's not good. You know, go side by side and ask a question. That's, you know, that's something I've learned the hard way. Mm. Um <laughs> There's a there's a men's uh, movement. I forget what it's called. I think it's called the Shed Club or something like that. Have you, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's yeah. it's guys getting together in sheds and working with their hands, making. No some, way. Yeah, yeah the, uh, there's there's one brilliant. in somewhere in Chilton, and it's an old it's an old, an old it's one of those uh, Rosa shops that in is in a sort of housing estate that would have been really buzzing back in the day, but now mm. all the shops are boarded up, and they've handed over one of the units to exactly that. Yeah, kind right. of, you know, yeah, a men, it's, a, it's a shed in a shop, but that's the principle. Yeah, that's uh, and apparently guys are showing up just, you know, fixing something or making something. And while they're doing it, they're talking. And it's mm. kind of almost under the radar. They're letting their guard down and just, you know, it's, it, the thing they're doing with their hands almost allows them to talk in some way. And it, it's just reminding me of a story of a friend of mine who, um, he loves conversation um, and he, every Christmas he loves hosting Christmas and he's got kids and he loves having family over and he gets a jigsaw out, gets a big jigsaw and they start a jigsaw and they just have it on a table somewhere where people are going to go past it. And he says, it's great. He says, people just go over for a bit and they start putting a few pieces in and then they're standing next to each other and they'll have a little chat about something. Wow. Love it. And they'll to share something they wouldn't share if they were sitting around a table. But he- I, I love that. It's, it's a really good mechanism, isn't it? Just to just to engage with people, I suppose, isn't it? You know, just to do something no pressure. together. You just you're completing part of a picture, and and by talking, you're probably completing part of a picture. It's it's a yeah. you know, there's no. I hate jigsaws normally because it, all those bits go everywhere, and it's like a thousand pieces, and you're like, oh god, where would I begin? Mm. You know, do I have time? But that in that context, 
it's it's part of an open thing it's just there and it's a little kind of thing where people can come together tackle the mini challenge you know oh mm. i can see that bit there and then just be open you know i think that's absolutely great i think i, I love that and it, and that thing with the sheds and you know all these kind of things where i suppose a lot of the time as us us blokes you know our time to talk is like historically been at the pub and you know a couple of pints in you you might be more open or you might be just more of an idiot you, you know or, or just daft you, you mean you, you know how it goes sometimes you can have these incredibly deep conversations over a pint but most of the time we end up you know just chatting absolute rubbish so we it's the time where we could have open and honest conversations but maybe mm-hmm. if anyone gets a bit too serious some, someone will make a joke and, and you know take it in a different direction where you take that away and put people in different situations where you know you can encourage a chat definitely mm-hmm. onto something because you know we're was, is it circles that you you, you started, yeah. Jindy? And, yeah. and I went to Andy's Man Club, but there's other, lots of other talking groups, et cetera. And it's a realisation, I suppose, that in our work lives now in society, we, we're often sat, sitting down, sometimes sitting, sitting opposite each other. We're not moving as much as we used to do. We don't work together as much. We kind of work in isolation a lot. I grew up in pubs, well, probably from teenagers onwards. And whilst I'm not a massive fan of pubs, you know, because it can be easily abused and alcohol obviously can be can be very destructive as well. It was a really safe haven for a lot of people. You know, mm. guys in particular would go somewhere so they could just talk. People don't go to pubs anymore. A lot of pubs are closing down, becoming restaurants, becoming houses, etc. So it's almost like, you know, some of the things that we used to relish, you know, as not just as guys, but just as people, you know, we just get together in our little communities and we could share things. And I've heard, I've heard a statistic as well, and I forgot where it came from. It might be in an audio book, that on average, over the last 50 years, people have got something like 2.5 close friends. And in the last 10 years, it's less than one on average. Oh, yeah. If you asked, you know, if you did a survey, how many close friends do you have you could talk to, to, to about, about anything? Less than one. Mm. And I think this is why there's such a problem with mental health at the moment, because we just mm. don't know how to talk anymore. And by the same token, I'm sure you're probably leading there, Andy, we'll have one close friend statistically, and then we'll have hundreds of people that we try and maintain a micro-relationship with on social media. And How like, tiring is that? It's just, yeah, yeah you know. And- it's, a very, it's a very shallow connection, that, the, the yeah. social media connection. Yeah, well, I saw, I saw some similar data that's even more startling. I think it was something like... 20% of US teenagers uh, identifies, or young people identify as having no close friends. Wow. And apparently it's similar, it's similar in the UK what? and it's growing and it's growing. You it's know, so it sad. Is, I, I can only assume, and the thinking is that it's partly because they're spending so much time on devices, building these shallow connections, wanting to portray themselves in a certain way online, not just doing any of the things that we're talking about here, sitting around or mm. walking side by side somewhere and actually connecting in a, in a really real way, an authentic yeah. way. It's almost like we've accidentally destroyed communities, isn't it? You know, we, mm. we, we, we've almost accidentally just done that. You know, we, we, we're no longer in each other's space anymore. We don't do things together anymore. We've gone, mm. gone for bigger houses. We, everybody wants a detached house. We don't want to live in a terrace anymore. We're no longer 
connected as, as you say yeah it's a shame. Well, we're, we're all old enough to remember thatcher and uh we all know what she said about society and community so mm. it's it's Remind not entirely by, it's not entirely by accident uh, i don't want to repeat the words it's too no. traumatic um, yeah. <laughs> do you want to yeah. talk about it it's fine you know but it is stop, true stop recording it? and listen once i start know. i won't stop <laughs> yeah no yeah and, and that's absolutely true and it's almost like we talk about community we talk about community quite a lot on the podcast mm, because it yeah. is like get back with that program you know like I, i'm i'm i do quite a bit with our local church i'm personally not religious but i help out i do the sound there we do lots of stuff and it's a brilliant lovely community and things happen and we know mm. people through that community that is just priceless and you know mm. it almost feels like when we talk about community communities now tends to be communities of interest on on social or you know there's a community of people who like things niches what what have you but our community is spread in that around the world where people will never meet you know mm-hmm. uh, whereas the community is right here and we don't have that connection or we have to work at the connection in a way that we didn't used to i think it's like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. step out your door you would know your neighbors you know like my mom and dad still know the neighbors don't really like the neighbors on the right hand side but i know they won't be listening so you know uh-huh. I know my neighbours only because all the parcels get dropped off of you when they're all out and I'm in. You know, I'm just like the warehouse, Amazon, Amazon's Didsbury warehouse. But I think we do have to work hard to be part and to connect with our with our own communities. Is that yeah. any different in Berlin? Because Jindy's, Jindy's based in Berlin. So is that yeah. different where you are? Uh, yeah, it's interesting you say that. So I, I, uh, I moved here at the start of the year, and before that, I'd lived in London for, for 19 years. And in Berlin, it's pretty much all apartments until you get quite far out. It's big apartment blocks. Yeah. Um, you don't really have houses unless you've got a lot of money or you go a bit further out. And there is definitely more of a feeling of community. And it's interesting you mentioned mm. pubs, uh, Andy. There's pubs on every corner uh, mm. in our neighbourhoods. And what I've noticed is they still are what pubs, I feel like pubs used to be in the UK. Right? It's where no. people go to hang out. You know, beer's a lot cheaper here uh, because Germans love their beer and everything. There's tons of local breweries. So people go mm. and hang out. They just spend time there, all levels of society, hanging out in pubs. So there is, uh, and Berlin, I mean, I guess Berlin's not typical of Germany, but Berlin has got a strong social community feeling to it um mm, it's yeah. got the the history that lends itself to that so yeah there definitely is more of a, a sense of community even in apartment blocks you know just mm. sort of the way people uh leave things out for each other or help each other or kind of notices on the mm. notice board all that sort of thing wow. which i didn't really had much less of a feeling of in london and i know yeah. there are i don't want to sort of completely slag off london there are pockets of amazing community and people doing beautiful things in london but generally it all felt a lot harder and part of it also was uh economic everyone in london's you know really trying to make a lot of money they're busy they're on and the treadmill aren't they basically. they're on the treadmill yeah they're, they're, in, their, they're in their they're in their lane and, and in yeah. berlin everything's a bit more relaxed people aren't so they're not striving for money in the same way mm-hmm. and that makes it's a big ex- difference i suppose it's expensive to live in in major cities as well isn't it so it means you've probably got to work harder mm. for less mm. so often might mean less time to share with people as well yeah yeah, yeah. just th- th- that reminds me of um 
I've, I bang on about this a lot. I'm fascinated with the blue zones of of happiness and the blue zones of of longevity. And in the blue zones of happiness, Dan Butner talks about moais in Japan mm, from a, from a young that. age. You know, you're almost forced into a friendship group of around five people, and it's beautiful to watch. And these people stay friends for all of their life, mm. and they'll live longer and happier as a consequence of feeling connected and protected mm. with people yeah. you know they, they become themselves and phil you were talking about you know i feel like i'm connected with myself again it's that yeah they're always themselves they're authentic because they can just be themselves and i love i love the word moai do you think circles is doing that a circles almost to some, reverse yeah. engineering that i guess to some extent for temporarily because we run we run them for eight weeks so um okay. they're, all, they're all free um we want to sort of do as many groups as possible so it does temporarily create this space where guys have a moai, I guess, yeah. Mm. And if I remember rightly, in, in Blue Zones, it's a place where women are still going in their 90s to gossip. Yeah, right? like a Okinawa. Gossip Okinawa, yeah. 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 And it's, it's, um, it provides, as you said, that connection and that kind of habit to it almost. But with circles, yeah, I guess we're providing a space where guys can come and have real conversations you know everything we're talking about today um whatever that might mean for them and not feel that they're going to be judged they can feel they can talk about things without fear they can be a bit more courageous they can experiment they can just listen if they want to there's always someone who says in each of the groups it's great to know i'm not alone i was every, thinking exactly every the same time thing. i hear that and yeah. even just saying it now i feel it in my heart because it's yeah. amazing to hear hear people say that um, mm. it's the thing that guys notice when they come and just start sharing and just start being yeah. real and having open conversations. They go, ah, it's not just me going through this. You know, there's it's, other guys. It's a beautiful thing to witness as well. I, I, I'm, I'm having flashbacks of, of Andy's Man Club. I don't go anymore because I think it, it had its time. I think we could become over-reliant on a group sometimes, you know, as a, you know, as a mechanism. But I recall people going in there for the first time and you could just see the, the, the gravity they held. It was just crippling them you know they, they could they could barely speak move they couldn't give any eye contact and eventually when they start to say a few words and a few sentences and then after a few minutes they, they've exercised some of these deep dark thoughts you come all the way around to the end and you see they look physically six feet taller you know they, mm. they look bigger humans they look lighter you know they they, they just look more human again and mm. It, it is a beautiful thing to witness as well when you just, as you say, you create that space or that environment for people to do it. And um, I held a workshop earlier this week. It's called Speaking from the Heart. It's about public speaking, but it's about people who've never spoken publicly before, like introverts, for example, those who feel like they're going to get judged. And it's not just for guys. It's for anyone from any kind of age, usually people in business. And we talked through speaking techniques. You know, this is how, you know, this is how, for example, Simon... Senex spoke at TEDx, and this is how Tim Ferry spoke at TEDx. You know, this is how Brené Brown spoke about vulnerability. We kind of decode the talks and put it into component parts, and go right. Here's here's a script for you, but just answer these questions and speak honestly and authentically about it. And then we 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 go away and connect and speak with each other and come back after having something to eat and drink and say, like, let's do it. And then people speak for the very first time. They've said, I've never spoke to my husband or wife about this. I've never spoke with my friends about this. But I'm going to tell you a story about something. And that, and that for me, was just magical. You know, you, mm. people are often in tears because they're in tears crying because they're releasing something. They're releasing an emotion which has been suppressed for years. Mm. But other people listening to it are going, I felt exactly the same as you. It's almost like we're creating empathy again. 
mm. which we never knew existed. And guys in particular struggle with empathy, I find, mm. because we just don't know how to do it for the reasons you know we spoke with before. Mm. So would you describe honest conversations as, as those things you mentioned before, Jen, Jen D, is it about you know, not being judged, fearless, courageous. We're missing anything with honest conversations. I suppose honest means something different for every person. And there's a big, you probably noticed, there's a big kind of um, trend at the moment about vulnerability, vulnerability and authenticity. Mm. And yeah. I, I have a bit of a reaction to that because although those are valuable things to be able to demonstrate or, or practice, it also depends. It depends on are you ready yet to share or do you feel that you're in a, an environment with a group of guys or whoever it might be where you mm. want to share. Mm. So uh, this kind of push to vulnerability can actually be counterproductive, I think. So it's whatever feels honest for you in that moment. And it, and it is a practice. You know, like it's taken me a long time to be able to talk this honestly. You know, 10 years ago, I would have been sp spinning you some bullshit story about my life and, you know, mm. telling you something completely different. Yeah. Um, but it's taken me practice and comfort uh, and confidence and work and self-love, you know, loving, being comfortable with who I am and loving who I am now to be able to be honest about my struggles and my story and, and, and what I'm doing. So everyone's in a different place. And, and what, what is honest for some person, a person might just be, you know, uh, I'm not feeling great today. And they don't need to give any more detail from that. And that might be the first time they've said something like that. Mm. So that's that's the practice, I think. I like how you use the word practice because it it is something that we do still need to practice. I'm still practicing that. Mm. And I heard a story today from somebody that I've been coaching is that they feel really uncomfortable when people overshare with them. Mm. They just don't they don't want them to overshare with them because they don't know they don't understand mm. you know the the emotions that they're sharing with them, and that causes that it's just not the right time to do this or the right person to to share with. And I think that takes practice as well, is to know the right time, the right environment, the right kind of people, the right space to yeah. do that. You know, so going going into work going, I've had a shit weekend. Let yeah. me tell you about people don't want to hear it, do they? Really? Oh if you're just yeah. broadcasting it, they, you know, it's not it's not the right setting, is it? Yeah. It is about trust and feeling comfortable and sharing enough, but also it's listening, isn't it? Like, again, we talk about that a lot. You know, you've got mm. to, if you're going to share, you've got to be be prepared to listen Perfect. just equally, haven't yeah. you? You know, it's just, you can't, you know, you might be having a shit time and, and yeah. stuff's going on. You've still got to be able to listen. That that friend, that connection, the person, you know, you the person in the group, whatever, you've still got to be able to listen equally as much as you share. It's an equal you know, opposite otherwise. reaction, isn't it? It's, yeah. You know, to 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 speak, to be heard, you need somebody to listen. Mm. And I think that's something we really struggle to do. We, we, mm. There's often this thing about you need to talk more. Maybe we just need to listen more. That's yeah. the thing. If we listen more, then people might actually talk more because every time I say something, you either cut me down or tell me I'm wrong or tell me what I should be doing. Mm. And if you listened more, then I'd probably feel more comfortable instead of yeah, quiet. Completely, yeah. One of the, one of the things we talk about in um, – in, in our work, in our circles work, is is not fixing. Like, it's a very masculine trait to listen to someone and go, yeah. oh, this is what you should do. Yeah. You know, I, that happened to me, and what you should do is, mm. uh, and I'm guilty of that. I still do that, you know, but it's sometimes... But you know what you should do her. about that, Jindy? Oh, very good. Look at him. He's on form. <laughs> do tell me, fix me, Phil. Fix me. Um, but, yeah, there's, uh, what you guys are describing here, you, put, you might have come across the term, is containment. The psychological mm. idea of containment it's can can this person or this group 
contain what I'm sharing and vice wow. versa. Can I contain the emotions that are being shared here? And you, you mentioned, you know, sharing something and the other person can't cope with it, you know, mm. so it's a practice on both sides. And what we need, like Phil, you mentioned, like going into the office and broadcasting, that, that's not necessarily a healthy thing. It might be for some people. Yeah. But it's also something about if I'm struggling, what do I need? I might need to go and talk in a group with some people, or I might need to call the one person that I know I can call, whoever that might be, and have a conversation with them. Mm. So it's mm. also something about knowing how we relate and knowing what's the best way for me to express myself rather than feeling I've got, oh, I've got to be able to walk into a room and talk to five guys about it. Maybe, mm. maybe not. You know? yeah. yeah, it's a practice, isn't it? Mm. Awesome. Feels like we could talk all day about this. Um, I think there's an episode um, two in this could well be. conversation. Just skimming the surface here, I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. This is, this is actually therapeutic for me. Honestly. Yeah, me it too. really does feel me like too. Yeah. does feel like a circle. It, it's pretty cool, and I'm enjoying it. And I'm I'm hoping that our listener or listeners in multiple locations around the globe, uh, for anybody who's thinking of uh, sponsoring the show, we're now in at least two countries. I think 28 actually, <laughs> and we've had over 3,000 downloads now by the way just if you, in case you want to sponsor the show but anyway that wasn't a, a shameless plug it Phil, was. What have, <laughs> yeah it was yeah yeah full disclosure um <laughs> what have i learned Phil, what have you taken from this you know what what were, were the key things that uh, <laughs> phil from an hour ago would have would have liked to have learned from that i think there's so much in it uh, you know and this is where i end up with a rambling answer but i think i think there's so much in the thing we talked about it, when you do share with people and you share in the right way, in the right moment, that can be a gift to the person receiving that. Again, one of my friends, a couple of years ago, I was going through stuff. Sounds like I do it all the time, probably do. And <laughs> I was open with that particular friend in a way that I've never been open with them before. But it changed our relationship for the, for the better, mm. fundamentally changed our relationship for the better you know and and then that's that you know that that feels quite a profound thing especially when you know we are so reluctant to mm. open up you do it yeah. in the right with the right people because it's about trust and comfort and confidence as jindy said i think that's really powerful um but you the reward for that person to, to feel yeah, I was worried about that you anyway, and actually now you've given me a, a mechanism to check in with you on that. But also, I feel pretty good that you feel I'm the person that you can have that conversation with, rather than even as I said before, you know, you have these conversations and you think it's going to be a burden, but with the right people, it's not. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Jindy. What would you say the the biggest takeaways you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, well, there's so many. Uh, the thing I always take from these conversations is uh, just a added realization or extra realization that we're all underneath experiencing similar things. Like mm. the three of us, we had a little chat before. Uh, I know Phil a little bit, but we had a little chat. We're all from, you know, we haven't gone too deep into it, but we're all from different backgrounds. We've had different lives and different experiences. But I felt like I've just spent this time talking to. It's like three guys who know each other really well because we're yeah. talking about we're talking about the experiences underneath. And yeah, it's Friday evening here in Berlin. It's like ten past six, and I was feeling a little bit low on energy when I started this conversation. Now I'm feeling super energized, and that's always yeah. what happens when I have these sorts of conversations. Brilliant, yeah. I love so that. it's um, yeah, really grateful you guys had me on. It's beautiful what you guys are doing. I love that you're having these conversations about guys about midlife. So thank you. 
Amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's thank brilliant you. to have you on. We do miss Dave. Dave, genuinely, we do love you and miss you. So uh, let's have a chat this weekend. Jinder, really appreciate you taking the time to, to to share this with us. You've opened my eyes and a few things I've taken, taken away from this, just as a quick summary, in no particular order. I love creating a space where people feel that they're not judged, so the right environment. The word you use, containment, was perfect. You know, I know that I can speak in this area because yeah. it's contained. I love that. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant, which aligns with being heard. There's no point talking if you're not being listened to. So I love. I also love that because it can't work otherwise. And and I think the biggest one for me was tenderness. It, it's it surprised me. I must admit, yeah. I'm I'm surprised that it makes that much sense now you say it after a long run or a game of football with my mates, we're all hugs and we're all like kissing each other on the head and the cheek mm. and all sorts. Like we really tender, you know, we'll tell to each other about anything. So when we actually become human again, we are genuinely tender. So I, yeah. I absolutely love that. I, I completely echo what you said there, Jindy. I must admit, uh, just over an hour ago, I was feeling a bit low because it's, it's Friday afternoon, a bit low on energy, but now I'm, I'm buzzing. buzzing. I say this every time, but I am really am buzzing. I'm going to go yeah. out to a presentation night, drink a load and talk a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thank um, you, guys. Thank yeah, you. Do you, mind if I do, do you mind if I just do a little plug for the men's work? Just Please do. Out. It's the right time. Yeah. Um, we've just, we've just um, created a new website. So uh, the banner for all of our work is leaderbrotherson.com. Uh, and on there, you can take a look at the free circles that we're running. We run them online. They're completely free. Uh, every Wednesday evening, we're starting our next one in mid-January. Uh, you can check out what they're about, and you can make an inquiry if you wish. Uh, and then there's also some details on the work that we want to do with organizations. And uh, we also have a, a paid version of the group as well, which is called the Commitment Circle, which my Fantastic. co-founder runs. So leaderbrothersum.com, it's all up there. But if you're unsure, you know, I'd say just... Take a look. Come and have um, one of these conversations for free. You know, there's no mm. no investment other than time. Brilliant. We'll put that in the show notes, can't we? We can put that in, yeah. the, in the show description. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I think it's it's a brilliant movement, that Jindy. I love what you're doing there. You you will be genuinely changing people's lives for the better there. So, thank you. You've changed my life. I'm sure you've you've you have enhanced Phil's in a big way as well too. So, um, I've genuinely loved this, and that's a feeling from the heart as well. Yeah. Really appreciate our listeners uh, for, for tuning in on this episode. As always, if you like what you hear, give us a like, share, and a follow, uh, maybe a comment. And if you want to get involved, email us at hello at talkingcod.com or just reach out and connect with us individually on your favorite social media platform. Uh, we all love LinkedIn. Twitter's full of idiots at the moment and Facebook, well, that's just dirty, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, uh, guys. I'm on MySpace if anyone. Oh, really? Yeah, what's that all about? I'm, I'm, Fans I'm just... reunited, in fact. <laughs> I'll be at Brighton Cricket Club. Tell me there. <laughs> Brilliant. Have a great weekend, guys. Nice one. Thank, Thank you. you. See you. Cheers. Love you all. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed us talking COD, please give us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app and subscribe now. Quick shout out to the guys at DapDip Productions, the folks pushing the buttons behind the scenes. Check them out at dapdip.co.uk. And thanks to Rubber Bear for our theme tune elements. Find the band on Spotify and SoundCloud. We'll see you next time for more Talking Code.